The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. One of my uh, one of my great character defects is that um, in moments of great intensity, my hands get clammy. This can be video games. This can be speaking. It can be a lot of different things. Uh, and my iPad didn't recognize my fingerprint for like a solid 10 seconds there. But we're good. We have notes. The message goes forward, and now, and now you know more about me than you wanted to. So congratulations. And if I ever do this before we shake hands, that's why. That is, that is actually why. Uh, my name's Evan. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm the creative director here at the Grove Church. Uh, and what that means is that I kind of oversee. Thanks for the, oh, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> it means I oversee kind of how we use technology to let more people know about Jesus or how we use technology to further the kingdom of God here on earth. So that is what we do. Um, but also one of my great passions is being able to preach and teach the Bible. I love being able to do that. And so uh, it is my honor to continue you are uh, serious today called Reclaiming Relationships, and today I want to talk about what I think is, is one of the most important cultural issues facing us today, and that is the idea of forgiveness. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we will get started. Father, I just thank you so much for the gift that it is to be able to gather together and worship you the way that you deserve to be worshiped. I pray that today as I speak that they would be your words and not mine. I pray that uh, as I speak I wouldn't have a hint of pride in my heart, but that you would just use me to communicate your gospel effectively, and I pray that you would prepare the hearts and minds of everyone here to hear what you would have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so when I was thinking about this message on forgiveness, my mind immediately leapt back to one particular story. Um, So I need you to travel back in time with me to like the early 2000s, the late 90s, when I'm like seven or eight years old. Uh, You know, for some of you, that's a distant travel. For some of you, it feels like that was just yesterday. Um, But when I was that age, you know, you go over to friends' houses, and usually what that involved was you would grab like, you know, I don't like the wrapping paper tubes, you know what I'm talking about? You pretend to be Jedi, uh, or maybe that was just me, I don't know. Uh, or Lord of the Rings was another big one. We'd pretend to fight orcs, video games. The N64 was a big deal. Play a lot of Smash Bros. It was awesome. Um, but on this particular day, I went to my friend's house, and he was super excited to show me his new most prized possession. And this was a, he had built it. It was completed. His Lego Republic Low Altitude Assault Infantry Transport Ship. I mean... This thing was sweet. It was awesome. And even, like, the things in front even fired. It was just a good time. Uh, And so we admired it for hours. um, Probably not hours, but we admired it for minutes. Um, And then we went outside and we played, and we came back inside. We wanted to play video games. Um, And so when you're a kid, you know, video games involve a lot of, like, jumping up and sitting back down. Um, And some of you are seeing where this story is going. And so as we're playing, um, I sat down, and I felt a crunch underneath me, and I got up, and I looked down, and I had smote the clone ship's ruin into the floor of my friend's bedroom. It was completely broken apart. Honestly, I just like that saying. I really wanted to work it in today, so that's, if you're confused, that's why I said it that way. Um, And it was just broken apart into pieces, and I was in shock. He was in shock. Neither of us said anything for a good amount of time, and then finally, you know, I was able to, like, realize what had happened. I started apologizing profusely, and in that moment, my friend had, he had a choice to make, right? Um, my, my eight-year-old friend had to choose whether or not to, to forgive and to move past this, or was this going to be the end 
of our friendship. And, and let me tell you, it took an uncomfortable amount of time for him to figure it out, which way, which way he wanted to go with that. Um, luckily, we are still friends to this day. So he chose forgiveness. Um, I actually texted him because I was looking for this picture of the clone ship when I was doing the message. And I found out that they're today worth an obscene amount of money. Uh, and apparently he got rid of it a few years ago and didn't realize that. So that's a, that's a huge bummer. He lost out on that. But our friendship, our friendship survived to this day. And obviously, this is, it's a little bit of a lighthearted story. Um, when we think about forgiveness in the context of our relationships today, we're probably not struggling to forgive people because they broke our Legos. Um, or if that's you, this is a safe place to work through that, right? Like, we can, we can do that as well. But for most of us, we're, we're talking about fairly serious relational um, hardships that we have to work through, that we need to forgive. Um, but what I, what I would say today is that not only is it of the utmost importance that we forgive as Christians, we are commanded to forgive by Jesus. And, and today I want to talk a little bit about why. Um, th- there's one passage in Scripture that I think is kind of like, it's like the cliche passage, but in a good way. Like, I, I, I don't think there is any more beautiful story about the nature of forgiveness than the parable or the story that Jesus tells about the unforgiving servant. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, if you want to turn there. Uh, we'll be there in a couple of minutes, but I, I, I kind of want to set, lay the groundwork for, for the story that Jesus is going to tell here. So in Matthew 18, we pick it up, and, and Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples or the men that are following him that he's been teaching, and he gets on the subject of forgiveness, of, of radical forgiveness. And he talks about how if a brother sins against you, you're, you're to bring that sin to him. And if he acknowledges it, then that, that's the end of it, right? Like you are to be ready to forgive. If he acknowledges his sin and is ready to repent, then that, that's the end. And he, he gives a couple other parameters for how like, you know, if, if, if the person doesn't acknowledge their sin, you kind of get more and more people involved and it, it escalates as it goes on. But, but the crux of it is this idea that Upon recognition of sin, we should, as Christians, be willing to forgive. And this would have been a radical thing to think about in that time. It's a radical thing for us to think about, right? To, to freely give forgiveness. And Peter starts talking, and if there's one Bible character who gives me hope, um, it's Peter. That guy's awesome because, you know, like me, um, he sticks his foot in his mouth all the time. But Jesus loves Peter. And so I know that Jesus loves me still, even, even when I'm being an idiot. Um, but you kind of get this idea that Peter like looks back at the, the rest of the disciples and he's like, guys, I'm going to impress Jesus so much right now. And so, you know, he steps forward and I, I just, you know, I'm imagining that this is how it played out. But he goes, Lord, how many times should I be willing to forgive my brother who sins against me? Looks back again, gives the sign. He goes, seven times. And again, like, like we kind of read that a lot, and so we understand what's coming next, right? Like we know that seven is going to be kind of a small number, but think about that number for a moment. Like think about being in a relationship with someone where they have wronged you seven times. I would also be getting, it would be getting old for me, right? Like I'd be like, bro, seven, really? Why are we, why are we still dealing with this? And so you get the idea that the number that Peter give, is giving here is a gracious number. But what is Jesus' reply? He replies, no, not seven, 70 times seven. And if you're thinking to yourself, oh, 490, awesome. Like, that's not, that's not the point, right? The point is, whatever the number that you think it should be, keep going. 
Keep going past that number. That is how many times we need to be willing to forgive. Again, this is a radical thing that Jesus is saying, which is why he tells this story to illustrate why, as Christians, we should be ready to forgive. So in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your hearts. It's a heavy passage, especially when you get into the end. And I've been reading a book called Forgive by, by Timothy Keller, which is, I would highly recommend. It's a great book. Um, and he goes a little bit more in depth on this parable. Because if you're like me, um, I don't know what 10,000 talents or 100 denarii are. Like, that's not, the, that's not what I use to pay debts anymore. Um, so to, to put it into perspective, the amount of 10,000 talents is, is a little bit over $3 billion. It's like $3.5 billion in today's money is what that would be. Um, and if you're thinking to yourself, how on earth would someone go into debt $3.5 billion? Yeah, that, that would be really difficult to imagine. Like, what we're, what we're probably supposed to be imagining in this moment is that this servant is a government official of some kind whose foolishness has led to the king and therefore the kingdom as a whole losing this massive amount of money. And, and what that means is that the king is completely justified in what he wants to do to this, to this servant, not just because he owes him the money and he can recoup some of that, but also as a punishment because that amount of money very much puts the security of the whole kingdom into jeopardy, and it's because of what this servant has done. And, and yet, the king offers mercy, and when the servant begs for forgiveness, the king offers it. He doesn't just give him an extension. He doesn't just say, hey, okay, you have a year to come up with this money. It's a complete wiping of accounts. And then the servant goes out, and he finds a man who, again, he owes him 100 denarii. Um, a denarius would be like a day's wages back then, and so if we're thinking it's like a quarter of your year's work, and if the average person makes like fifty, sixty thousand dollars, like fifteen grand ish, is probably what we should think of a hundred denarius being. Um, and I think that's important because 
So, like, I've heard this passage spoken, uh, taught on before, and sometimes it's like a flippant amount. It's like, yeah, it's basically nothing, and the servant wasn't willing to forgive. Um, like, people, like, there's a lot of people that owe me money that I just forgot about. Like, I'm not going to go to my friend a few months later and be like, hey, remember how I bought your lunch and you said you were going to cash at me afterwards and you never did? Like, no, like, it's eight bucks, it's over. Like, you know, like, you just kind of forget about it and you let it go. Um, but if someone owed me 15000 I would remember that, right? Like, that's an amount of money where I would say, like, hey, Bud, so, uh, like, payment plan, like, how are we doing this? Like, just reminding you, like, it's not a, uh, it's not a flippant amount of money that, you know, you could bring up years later and people would be like, what are you even talking about? Like, no, that's an amount of money that you could hold on to for a long time. And people would like, yeah, you're right, I'm sorry, I need to pay it back. Um, and, and the point of that is that it, it would have taken a certain amount of sacrificial forgiveness for the servant to forgive the second servant. This isn't just something where it would have been nothing to him. This is a major thing that would have been asked. And yet, we read this story, and rightfully so, we recognize the wickedness of the servant for not being willing to pass along the forgiveness that he just received to someone else. And, and, and this story has so many powerful parallels to our lives. Like, for instance, the, the first servant was forgiven a debt that he could never hope to pay back. There was no amount of time that the king could have given that servant where he could have come up with 10,000 talents. Um, in, the similar, in a similar way, we are forgiven a debt that we never could have hoped to pay back. Like when, when God offers us his salvation, it's, it's not for anything that we did. Our, our hope as Christians is not that we trust in what we've done. We trust in what Jesus already accomplished. And I think sometimes we have, we have a wrong idea about what that looks like. Like, I think sometimes we think that we get to the end of our lives and, you know, God's going to weigh the good and the bad. And as long as the good slightly outweighs the bad, we're going to be fine. And Jesus is like, ah, 51%, get in here, you old so-and-so, way to go. But that's not... That's not the way it works, right? Like sometimes we think it's, it's Sunday streaks and you know, there's 52 Sundays in a year and like, Lord, I made it to 35 and God's like, ah, Bill, great work. You know, get in here. I, if it was 34, hell, but way to make it, way to make it to 35. <laughs> and I, I, know, I know we laugh at it, but that's kind of the way we treat it, right? Like we have this idea that there's a checklist that we can mark off or there's things that we can do and if, and if we just... Uh, do enough of them, if we just mark it up enough, then eventually we can earn God's love and salvation. And I think another thing that, that Timothy Keller brings up in, in the book is that we often miss the idea that the forgiveness that the kings offer, that the king offers, was not cheap. And, and while the king could have never hoped to recoup the full 10,000 talents, the full uh, $3 billion, he would have gotten a lot of money from being able to sell everything that the servant had. He was probably a high-ranking government official. Um, there, there would have absolutely been some of that offset and, and also the, the being able to punish the servant for what he had done. And, and yet, the king refuses to do that, and he, he lays that aside. Um, in a similar way, it's a reminder that our grace and our salvation was not cheap. It was, it was not purchased flippantly. 
and we can read about the cross and the crucifixion, and we can read about everything that Jesus went through, and we can reflect on the fact that he lived the perfect, sinless life that we could never live, that he died the death that we deserve to die, and that because of his death and resurrection, we can have relationship with him, and we can realize that our grace, that our mercy, that our forgiveness was bought with a price, which makes it all the more heartbreaking when we when we recognize the truth of that forgiveness and we spit on it when we refuse to forgive other people for what they've done to us. When we freely accept the grace that God gives us, but we refuse to pass that along to others. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago on Good Friday, but you know, lest we think that forgiveness is just something that Jesus says and doesn't walk out, um, think about the cross. Think about the fact that Jesus was brutally beaten, that he was tortured, that he was mocked, that he was hung on a cross, and that while he is there dying in unimaginable pain, he looks out into the crowd and he sees a few friends, but mostly what he sees are people who are either actively participating in his murder or they're people who are looking on and cheering like it's some sort of form of entertainment. And what does Jesus say? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus in that moment is being sinned against in a way that most of us will never experience and his reaction is to offer forgiveness. It's, it's an incredibly powerful moment. A, a few years ago, I was, I was watching a documentary called The, the Accountant of Auschwitz and um, it was really interesting. It was about um, the German government finding the, the man who was the accountant of Auschwitz and this is Decades after it happened, it takes place in like 2015. And it, it, the documentary kind of wrestles through the idea of, it's, it's, it's interesting, it wrestles through the idea of like, what does it look like to hold someone accountable decades after something happened? Um, what does justice even look like with someone in their 90s for, for things that they did while they were in their 20s? Um, but it, it, it goes to trial and, and they bring forward um, these, these people who are, who are very old, but they were children in, in the death camp, in the death camp of Auschwitz. And they're, they're testifying as to the, the absolute horrid brutality of the Nazis in those camps. And they're talking about how they were beaten. They're talking about how they were tortured. They're talking about how their family members were killed. Um, and one woman gets up. Her name was Eva Moses Kor. And she was a twin. And she talks about how... Um, because she was a twin, her and her sister were taken aside and they were to be experimented on by the doctors. And so most of her family is killed in the, de- in the death camps, and yet she and her sister are undergoing just unimaginable things. And, and, and then she says, she, she walks up to, to the accountant and she hugs him and she kisses him and she says, I forgive you just like I forgive all Nazis. And then she asks them that the thing that she asks of him is to make sure to communicate to this next generation that Nazism doesn't work. Or, or in other words, it's this idea of um, when you were young, these are the things that you believed, these are the things that you went into. Don't let this next generation of young men do the same thing. And it, it was incredibly powerful. It was, it was incredibly moving to, to, to watch this happen and, and just see that example of what true 
Christian forgiveness looks like. And, and just a few seconds later, as I was watching, I was reminded about how uniquely Christian that idea of radical forgiveness actually is. Because again, it's a documentary, so they're interviewing other historians and other Holocaust survivors. And the quotes that come immediately after were, um, it's outrageous, it's outrageous what she did. The next person says, I said, my God, this woman must be crazy. Um, the person after that says, what was even more shocking was the people in the audience clapping for this forgiveness thing. And, and I want to be careful because I, I don't think any less of the people who walk through that and are not able to forgive. I, that's something I'm most likely never going to walk through. And so I, I, I'm not going to stand here and judge for, for what they are and are not able to do. But I, I was so struck that not simply that people would, wouldn't be able to forgive in those moments, but also that the ideal of that kind of forgiveness was rejected. The idea that that kind of forgiveness was even a good thing or something to aspire to was rejected by most of the people who observed it. And, and I think as a culture, we've gotten very, very comfortable with the idea of not offering forgiveness, with the idea of not offering grace. We've gotten very comfortable with judging people based off of their worst days, but excusing ours. And, and I think that forgiveness is not just, it's not just something to aspire to. It's not just something to strive for. Forgiveness is necessary for the flourishing of every human relationship. Like, I, I think about friendships. I have truly deep friendships that I cherish. Um, and all of them have been tested, right? All, as, as we go on, we've had moments where we're fighting and we're angry and we don't speak for a period of time and then we work through that and we get to forgiveness. And, and, and on the other side of that, what that means is that they are deeper and stronger friendships than just kind of the surface level ones that so many of us have. And... What I value about them is knowing that when I mess up, that my friends are ready to forgive, that when they mess up, I am ready to forgive. But, but how often do we just kind of throw aside friendships because we, we aren't willing to forgive in those moments? I think, I think about marriage. Um, there is no one that my wife has to forgive more than me. Like I do a lot of really stupid things. Um, and, and, and there's some things in marriage that are actually kind of like, like big things to work through and forgive. But I think so much of it is just kind of little things that don't matter, but we let them build up and we let them fester. Like I have this distinct memory of being irrationally angry um, because my wife didn't put the toilet paper back on the thing. Like she put it on the counter above the thing. And it's like, it's stupid, right? Like I, that's not something I should be angry about. And, and in the moment, like it's not that I'm angry about that, but what I had done is I let just a bunch of little tiny things that I should have forgotten, that I should have released, that I should have just forgiven. And all of a sudden, like that's, you know, like that's, that's a straw that breaks the camel's back. And sometimes we do that, right? Like we think we've forgiven because we're not bringing it up, but we hold on to it, but we're keeping score and we're thinking to ourselves like, oh my gosh, here's all the ways that this person has been an inconvenience for me. And then we let it build up and we let it fester and we, those things get infected and all of a sudden it just boils over over something stupid. We're, we're reading a book as a life group called um, Sacred Marriage, which I would also highly recommend. It's great. Um, sometimes it's a hard read because I, like, I'll read it and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I need to be a better husband. But um, it, it talks about in the book, what if, 
What if our marriages were a ministry of reconciliation? Or in other words, what if we were able to demonstrate through our marriages what it looked like to offer the forgiveness that Christ gives us to others? And he even talks about how it's a witness to our non-Christian friends, like to people who are not saved. What if they looked at the way that we freely love and we freely offer forgiveness in our marriages, and when they ask why, we were able to say, because God offers free, God freely loves me and freely forgives me. Like, what, what if the world marveled at the way our friendships and our marriages worked and the way that we were able to forgive and, and the last one I want to talk about is parents and children. Um, this one's a little bit harder for me because I don't have kids um, yet. I'm like seven weeks away, so we're, we're coming in hot, so it's a good time. But <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, I'm doing all the work, so just kidding. That's not, that's not true. And my wife's, I'm not, I'm not looking because my wife's in this gathering, so we'll see. I don't know if she's <laughs> making eye contact or not. Um, but I, I, remember grow, I remember growing up that I, I never once thought that my parents would not be willing to forgive me. Like it was very much told, it was told to me, whatever happens, whatever you do, bring it. Like bring it to us. And obviously, you know, there's going to be consequences sometimes. There's going to be ways to make it right. But I never once doubted that my parents were going to forgive me and that our relationship was not going to be broken. Um, and, it, and it kind of goes the other way too, right? Like we, as children need to be ready to forgive our parents. Um, and I have, I have killer parents. Like, I don't have anything big to, to forgive them for, but we all have things where it's like we think to ourselves, ah, I wish they would have done that a little bit differently. I wish my parents would have done this um, in, a, in a different way. And I think when you're younger, it's a lot easier to kind of think that. And then the older you get, the more you realize. Like, like I had this epiphany that I'm, so I'm 30, which is the age that my dad was when I was born. And I'm like, wow, I hope my kids don't judge me that way. And like, Growing up, you think that, um, you think adults ha have all the answers, and I distinctly remember this epiphany when I got into like my mid-20s, and all of a sudden I realized like, oh my gosh, it was all a lie. Like they don't. Like adults aren't smarter. <laughs> like you, you, I, I kind of just assumed at some point I would reach this level of maturity where I realized like, ah, I have joined the adults, and I now know what I'm talking about. And now I know you guys are just a bunch of frauds, or I'm a fraud. You know, we're all frauds. And, and, and so, like, I'm, I'm, I'm so much more quick to offer my parents grace because they were, they were figuring it out. Like, they were first-time parents. I'm about to be a first-time parent. I'm figuring out. I'm, I'm doing my best. My wife and I are going to do our best, but obviously we're going to fall short in areas. And, and I, I would hope that our kids are able to look back and, and recognize that and, and forgive us for the ways in which we fall short. Because this is true of almost all of our parents. And I recognize that this is easy for me to say because... As I said, I don't have big things I need to forgive my parents for. Um, that's not true for a lot of you in the room where there are big relational hurts that have to be walked through. But I, but I think this is true of almost all of our parents. Um, they did the best they could with where they were at at the time. And, and I, I think the more that we recognize that, the more we are able to, again, offer the forgiveness that Christ gives us to whoever needs it. And the last thing I want to talk about today is, is simply some of the reasoning behind why we forgive. I, I think that the discourse on forgiveness has gotten very, um, it's gotten very self-helpy. 
And it's not necessarily incorrect, like the things that get said. Um, when we talk about the idea of forgiveness being a healing experience for you, that is absolutely true. Like when, when you are able to let go of things, when you're able to forgive, that is an incredibly powerful thing. Um, the old cliche of holding on to bitterness is like taking poison, hoping the other person will die. Absolutely true, right? Like those things, those things are not false. Um, when we allow bitterness and hatred and resentment and unforgiveness and grudges to take hold in our hearts, it doesn't just drive a wedge between us and the other person, it drives a wedge between us and Christ. And we don't even realize that we're slowly breaking apart until one day we look and there's a chasm and we realize that we, we so allowed the hatred in our hearts um, to drive us away from the God who loves us. But the, but the other reason we forgive is not just because we need to forgive, it's because they need forgiveness. And just like offering forgiveness is an incredibly powerful moment, receiving forgiveness is an incredibly powerful moment. Like when, when, when someone that I've wronged offers me forgiveness, it's, it's, a, it's a small reminder that I'm never too far away from God's love. In, in that moment, that person is pointing me towards Christ. When, when, I, when I look into the eyes of someone who's forgiving me, I can see, even if it's just for, for a brief moment, I can see the shadow of Jesus' eyes as he looks on me and forgives me every single day. It, it's not just about us being willing to forgive. It's about wanting what's best for the person who wronged us and wanting them to experience the forgiveness that we've received from God every single day. And so I would just encourage all of us to think in our lives, how can we be like Christ? How can we be ready in all seasons to offer forgiveness to those who need it? And how can we show the world the love of Christ by being freely willing to give our grace and forgiveness to others? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your grace and your love and your mercy. And I pray that as, as we recognize that you show us grace and love and mercy every day, that we would be able to show that grace and love and mercy to others. I pray that you would give us opportunities, that you would search our hearts and you would show us where we can be ready to forgive. And I pray, Father, that in our lives, the people who are far from you would be able to look at the way that we love and we forgive and marvel at it. And that we would be able to lead people into relationship with you because of the way that we love and forgive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.